0: All right, Olivia, this is your your show. This is your episode, You Went Out Into the Wide World.
1: I would say it's Everyone I Interviewed episode, but yes. Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah, so this is a new new concept interviewing while we're on the subject here. Uh, new
1: concept never been done before.
0: <laughs> 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 I'm not, the first. <laughs> not on this podcast. Yeah, boy. If only that were just think about all those interviews out there. So we are taking a different approach to interviewing. A lot of uh, our friends in the podcast sphere like to um, just do a single interview for their episode or incorporate an interview into an episode, and that's great, and uh, we honor and love them for that. Uh, But we've got a little bit different take on it. Uh, Olivia, how many people uh, did you talk to for today's conversation about occult creativity and uh, art and occultism?
1: I talked to four people. Four people.
0: Yes. Four people. What were uh, some of the challenges you found doing this undertaking?
1: Time zones. <laughs> I, every single person. I, I. don't think anyone was in the same time zone as me. Even there was like at least one person in in the USA, and they were just no two people, and they were not on the same time zone. So, so you spent a
0: lot of time on an airplane to do these interviews.
1: Yes, I am. Yeah. I am COVID now.
0: I'm amazed that they'll even let you into the UK. What was They let know. me
1: everywhere, all across Europe. It's incredible. They were like, Canada. get this American in our country right now. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right. So uh, set us up here. What, what, what kind of things will we be hearing? So we're talking about occultism and creativity, right? What does that mean?
1: So uh, I think we mostly just, I kind of related their art. Well, I had them relate their art back to... Occulty themes that run throughout their art, but also just I think they're all occulty people. So
0: So how that life experience as someone who engages with witchcraft or some variety of occultism or occult mythology informs their creative process and Yeah. Comes into their art? Yeah. We the members, members of, of the, the Secret, Secret Order of, of Alchemical, Alchemical Actors, Actors do solemnly, solemnly commit, commit ourselves, ourselves to a, a full and full honest telling of the, the history of the occult as, as occult as far as we know it. That is the most synchronized I think we've been. Who who are we going to talk to first here?
1: I believe we're talking to Amy first.
0: Tell us a little bit about Amy.
1: Amy is from the UK. Um, she's like a cabaret, burlesque, Ritual performance artist who like does a lot of like collecting her blood beforehand to use during like the performances, bloodletting, hook suspension, you name it.
0: All right, that that, that don't oversell yeah. it. That's good. That's enough. Yeah. Let's get in. Let's let's hear this conversation with uh, Amy about uh, her performance art.
2: Hi, Olivia. I'm Amy Kingsmill. I uh, use she/her pronouns and i'm based in london england and
1: i'm a performance artist cool so i guess how would you in a in a i guess as brief of a way as you could just a, a overall describe uh, your work to our listeners because this is auditory just like yes. kind of explain to them exactly like what you mean by performance art
2: so um i use performance art to kind of mean live art as in uh performances that happen and uh it's really the idea is the art pieces people being present and watching do these performances or being involved in the performances if they're more uh if they involve people getting involved directly um i do lots of quite quite ritualistic performances a lot of my performances involve bloodletting, and costumes, and I also use hook suspensions, and piercing, um, it's, uh, for me, I think a lot of it is kind of creating my own myth.
1: Speaking of your audience, how would you characterize your, your typical audience that either comes to your performances, or like you said, occasionally participates, depending on, you know, what you're doing?
2: I feel really lucky, because, um, I have quite an eclectic uh, group of spaces that I perform in. Mm. I also work in cabaret, um, so it really depends on the spaces that I'm in. Um, I'm very lucky that London has a really um, good following for live art performers, um, yeah. and w- within those spaces, it's, it can be quite mixed. But it's quite um, oh, it's people who aren't necessarily aware of the occult. Kind of like ideas and magical kind of ideas behind some things, but they have an interest from you know quite a liberal perspective in uh, people doing in different things with their bodies and different art practices. So you end up with quite a kind of uh, politically aware queer audience, which um, works really well for my practices. But it, it's mixed, I also performed in Pakistan and it was. Cool. I was at the, there was a, in Karachi, they had the first biennale of performance art there, well not of performance art, the first biennale of art out there and I was lucky enough to be invited to perform and you know, all these people in England were kind of saying, oh, are you going to be safe going to Pakistan, I don't know about that. Uh, saying no, 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 it's going to be fine. and you know, and actually I had like you know, people's like aunts come over and be like, that you know, and I was bleeding on roses, and people came yes. people's, like, people's like aunts came over and said that was beautiful. Oh wow. So it's really nice when you take I I, I I get kind of like uniquely surprised every time I bring it to a different sphere. Like I performed in Venice and Paris and um LA and New York with the live art stuff um and every time it really it excites me to have people who don't know my work come and see it and they don't I think when you describe some of the when when one describes the sort of things I do then it can be read as kind of extreme and aggressive and scary but actually when I'm performing it it's it's like some of the ideas people have around the occult and witchcraft they go oh it's things that I don't know. That must be scary and shocking. And actually mm. what we're doing is just alternative ways of engaging with our bodies or, or spirituality. Um and I think they can see that when they see it in person.
1: I really like that um the comparison that you just made there. Um mm-hmm. I think that that is really fitting. Um and I, I am gonna get a little bit later more in detail with some of your art pieces. Is that is no, that the proper no, way to turn them? No, 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 no. Um Yeah, but there's a couple that I wrote down that I want to talk to you about that just stood out to me um, on your Instagram. But um, before we get there, I I just want to ask you how you got into everything that you do. (laughs) Um, Because, I, I mean, I wonder, I guess, does it come from or did it start from an occult interest place or did it start from a performance art place or just did you just fall into it? You know, um, I think that's a really great
2: question. Um, I feel really lucky that I kind of got into magic in a kind of loose sense. I've always been quite intuitive with what I do and not not very kind of not very book focused. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got into bits of magic and ritual kind of um, through just little, you know, one of those silly little spell a day books when I was like when yeah. I was having a really hard time. Just like I think a lot of. Um, people in the in the west who find who find magic you know at the moment yeah
1: yeah
2: um and so I found that and I you know I was really excited by this 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 way of being empowered by you know by engaging with things and having these actions you could do that would make things better in some way or you know whether that's psychologically or spiritually energetically and kind of engaging with that idea of energy and things like that mm-hmm. and so it wasn't until much later that I kind of um, combined that with my interests in live art and performance and art it wasn't till kind of I got to till I was about 16 uh, studying art and then I, I went to art school in London I went to Central Saint Martins and it wasn't you know it wasn't, I didn't find out about performance art I didn't know that existed until I was kind of like 16 or so um mm-hmm. and at first I was I was really intrigued I'd kind of found out about people like Lee Bowery and Marina Abramovic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah um and then I later, I found out about people like Cherie Rose and Bob Flanagan and Ron Avery and all these people were doing these, you know, and Genesis, Peorich, and people doing these really exciting things. And I think Genesis is a really good um, person to think about, if, you know, in regards to kind of like magic and performance art crossover, and especially mm. kind of from an English perspective. Um, so it's, you know, finding these people and going oh so you've been doing things that I've been doing but you're doing it in a different way and you're doing it in a way that's that's within an art space and that that really excited me
1: yeah so speaking of some of the, the art um I, I feel there was a couple that were really compelling to me and then there's a couple that I think more obviously that I feel like we should just talk about yeah. um one of the ones that really stood out for me, I, I think it was called growth, um, with the stapled roses, would yeah. you, could you just give a brief description of that, you know, for people listening?
2: Yeah, so, um, I come back to a lot of visual themes, like, repeated as themes within my work, one of these is white roses, or roses in general, um, and so growth sits as part of my femme fakir um, collection of pieces that's like an ongoing growing uh collection of work um mm-hmm. and i performed it last year last september in los angeles um with uh my collaborator Rihanna Arons and she's an l.a based artist and it was a long durational performance of about an hour and a half or two hours um where in which i lie on uh, black dirt like a kind of funeral mound on the ground and mm-hmm. um, Rihanna and there's um, red and white roses around my body that Rihanna brings in and she then takes the rose petals the white rose petals and staples them all over my body and so I am become covered with all these rose petals um, and then she slowly removes all the rose petals and feeds them to me um and it was a really long piece. It took a, a long amount of time to, to as a as a piece. It seemed, I, the thing that I quite like is things that don't have a time based duration. It's not like um, we will do this for an hour. It's like okay, mm-hmm. it until we've until all the rose petals have been eaten.
1: Right. There's no no time limit. No time. Right. Yeah. That's cool. Now, do you? I, I guess do you do you practice? for this kind of thing beforehand or is it just is it truly in, in the moment that's when it happens
2: with the performance most of the performances that I do especially the ones that involve piercing or bloodletting or hooks mm. you can't really um rehearse that um and so we didn't you know for example you know sometimes you bleed more than others and mm. um for me uh I, the blood is part of the aesthetic um, and the symbology and everything else, but right. there's, there's times where we've finished a performance and we're like, shit, she didn't leave <laughs> <her." laughs> off
1: oh, <God. laughs> More blood so, next time.
2: <laughs> sometimes it's luck, you know, sometimes it's just depends on the heat and the way your body is and how deep or shallow the what you're doing is, it's, it's pra- all these practical things, um, but it's, it's I still think uh, so yeah, we don't we can't i I choose not to rehearse these. I think for me, mm. that part of the ritual. it's uh. not it, it's it's not a stage performance, mm-hmm. it's live art in it's ritualistic live art. so it's the importance is it happening here and now with real actions, real pain, real blood, real roses, et cetera. So I think that that having it happen organically. Um, in front of the audience makes a real difference to me than if I was to kind of
1: stage it more theatrically. Another one that kind of—I'm not sure which. I think this. I don't know which one this was called, but bleeding skirt. Um, yeah, blood skirt. Yeah. Can you talk to about that one a little bit? Because that one was also very visually compelling. Thank you. Um,
2: so bleeding skirt, I performed as part of Tempting Failures. Biennale of Performance Art and Noise in London. Mm. Um, that was a couple of years ago. Um, it's a seven-hour piece. Oh,
0: um, wow.
2: Um, yeah, that's the longest piece I've done. Um, oh. And um, I collected. I I had my own blood collected before the piece, and the I have a. I walk in a circle within the gallery space. The the. Um, circumference of the gallery space um, and as I walk the skirt is designed so that it bleeds my own blood and so as I walk I leave these bloody footprints that kind of grow and grow and create this line and then it's this red circle that I'm creating by walking slowly um, and I, I, um, I was booked to do it for the duration of the day um, so that was a seven hour piece.
1: Yeah, it was, um, I don't, it was, I couldn't stop looking at it to be totally honest. Um, yeah. Um, and then I think uh, one that definitely we should talk about, um, the oil slick mermaid, um, oh, yeah. the, that was the big, like, I think that was the hook suspension one that like, I really saw on there that I was like, oh, wow. Okay. This is <laughs> should
2: talk about this yeah that's that's great um so that piece is called Seabird um
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and I've performed I perform it in cabaret spaces generally um and I've used spaces such as torture garden um and there's also a nightclub in London here called Antichrist um so I perform it well it's very cool Um, you would like Antichrist (laughs) um and so, um, within that performance, I um, I start um, being kind of pulled onto stage in a latex, a black latex mermaid tail, and I'm wrapped in plastic and rope, and I have a, a metal skewer that pierces my cheeks in one side and out the other. I've got two meat hooks already in my back. Um, And, uh, my co-performer, um, who's dressed as a sailor, pulls the spear out of my face and kind of hooks me up to these, to, from, from the hooks to a suspension rig. And then I'm suspended above the audience and I kind of come to life up there. Um, (laughs) and I kind of swim around, um, and then, um, at the, and then I kind of, die again so it's it's the, the idea is it's the the dying breath of an oil slick mermaid
1: i also wanted to i just wanted to point out um that you also dabble in at least a little bit of sfx makeup right um yeah, little
2: bits of special effects makeup. yeah in
1: particular i really liked your albino vampire bat uh, thank situation you.
2: thank <laughs> you that was keeping myself entertaining in lockdown
1: <laughs> oh yeah what a what a better time to practice yeah um,
2: thank you
1: yeah so I guess I want to kind of transition with that in mind into more of like nailing down more about the like intersection between like the occult and your performance art yeah. um so how how would you say that your art creates um like, a space to have that kind of intersection of, like, body and spirit?
2: Um, I think, for me, a lot of the performance things that I get interested and in, excited about doing, a lot of it is just driven by an idea that excites me about something that I can do as an experience. A lot of them are kind of, a lot of it is chasing the ec- ecstatic experience. And, you know, mm. that comes from a lot of kind of historic anthropology Um, you know rituals um, and I think there's a lot of within different uh, religious practices and occult practices of kind of embracing pain and uh, pushing Mm. the body as a way of kind of like breaking through to other head spaces and or, or doing performances or blood offerings as ritual practice as a way of doing invocation or as a way of kind of giving offerings to um, god goddess energies what, whatever kind of um, suits your own kind of practices and palette really so
3: mm-hmm.
2: so it, it it does depend from performance to performance um, but some of them have been I also you know I've I definitely I feel like my my work couldn't exist if the modern primitives movement hadn't existed um, and you know so I feel like you know the new generation of that um, so for me, doing things like hook suspensions or hook pulls and piercing my face and pierce, piercing rose petals to my face. It's, I, I have this real interest in kind of more uh, doing these rituals that are led by more females uh, directed energy. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there's, like a real interest, like I find that really exciting as a kind of crossover space between yeah. your, like feminine energy Um, and this kind of this this practice and this idea of kind of like things that people would consider shocking I don't choose to do works that I I don't choose actions because they are shocking but I am aware that my work is shocking for some people but I think sometimes people when they see things they're not used to they experience this shock and they see the body being used in ways that they're not used to and that they're shocked but that's mm. not necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes a shock can be a jolt from one reality to another. So I think it can be really exciting space, um, and whether or not people react in a positive way, um, there is often this tendency that women aren't the ones who go through pain rituals, because mm. obviously women—you don't risk. You don't. Women are already going to have to go through the ritual of bleeding through menstruation. They're also—you mm. don't want to risk putting women um, in dangerous situations because you need women, because you need children. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I feel like I'm very lucky to be in this modern space where I can choose to do what I do with my body. And so for me, engaging with my body in this way is, um, you know, a, quite an exciting radical thing to be able to kind of push my body and my psychol, you know, my spirituality and my headspace through doing these kind of um, extreme actions.
1: I guess I want to talk more about how like physical pain or just discomfort kind of Mm -hmm. play a role in the spiritual component of your work.
2: Yeah, so I think there's, you know, there's whole histories outside of live art practices of using pain within spirituality or tribal practice or ritual practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's always really excited me, uh, just like as a concept. And I and I do really those chemicals and those spiritual spaces that are awoken through those things are things that I'm always driving towards and I'm very interested in and kind of sharing that space with people, especially when they're kind of looking, coming to a work that they thought might be challenging and they're seeing that it's it's quite a peaceful, or um transcendental experience I think that's really exciting to share that with people. I have a piece that I did um, launch last year that's very ritualistic hook suspension and um but it's also very joyful and it's really exciting because people are very used to kind of like these things being kind of very somber but like mm. laughter has also been really key. not necessarily, it's not comedic but still you know like joyousness. Uh, you know static ritual it's it's joyous it's not always not all my work is is joyous but that piece is really exciting to let the audience kind of like howl with you um yeah for sure and they don't have these spaces you know um so um yeah you were talking about pain um and so I think that kind of for me it's use coming to these spaces with the edges of my body and kind of things that i never think I could have done with my body and pushing myself into those spaces it's it's a way of kind of exploring the boundaries of my um you know my, where my mind goes with these experiences and it you know it's similar in a sense to when people are doing uh BDSM and yeah that's
1: kind of what I've been thinking about a little bit as you've been talking
2: yeah yeah and um So for those who are less BDSM savvy, that's bondage, domination, and sadomasochism, and that can involve um, people submitting and doing uh, painful things or experiencing painful things within a consensual space. And if somebody is in that space, there can be experiences which are quite tranquil, moving past the pain, and that's called subspace. And it's quite meditative. It's a space that you might have felt if you run a lot and you get to that bit where you're like, I don't like running, fuck this. Oh no, the adrenaline. And then the adrenaline hits you. And suddenly you're like, actually, this is great. I'm really enjoying it. Or or weightlifting. there's, you know, there's, there's acceptable spaces where people can get these uh, same kind of adrenaline or kind of pain-based experiences um but I guess b d s m and these kind of um more ritualistic body practices or bloodletting are kind of the spaces that are less accepted where you people can engage with that
1: and I think that kind of leads into an interesting question of just how do the people i guess in your life feel about what you do is it is it generally do you have a lot of support or is it something that's kind of hard to explain to people do you kind of wait to explain to people what you do I'm
2: I feel really lucky because I've been really open about what I do in my interests for a very long time and I've also like because my day job is cabaret and I used to run nightclubs I'm in a space where I'm already dealing with kind of alternative people um and I'm also I also feel quite lucky that I I'm quite happy to explain things a bit, and um, you know, even my mum like she might not want to come and see me do a hook suspension, but kind of she kind of gets it. Um, she's not from that kind of headspace, um, but I think if you can kind of calmly sit down with somebody and explain, well, you know, if you think about the fact that the monks used to fuck themselves, you know, there's there are histories of these people engaging in different things um, to get to these spaces, and I think either some people understand it from a, like a performance art perspective and like, oh, yes, I get what you're saying. It's very feminist. I like it. Or they might like it from an aesthetic point of view or they might like it or they might like it from the kind of idea of what I'm doing. And a lot of people like that whole they get that whole, you know, suffer for your art. It's a phrase. So I, I get that a lot. So yeah. Um, I think I'm quite lucky that I I choose to kind of exist in spaces that are open-minded and kind of queerer in regards to like ideas of what people can do with their bodies.
1: That's awesome. Any goals or crazy, you know, dream projects that you (laughs) are dying to do? I have so many.
2: I have a whole art piece that I've been like sending around spaces which is specifically about uh, the uh, witchcraft trials and it's a oh, whole wow. kind of like mem- memorial piece um, that I I'm sure I will make happen one day um, and that would be a long a long project but in with a big fiery finish um, <laughs> um, yeah. Just like all the best witches. Great. <laughs> Great. Um, at the moment, I'm focusing on my cabaret work and um, hoping that the nightclubs reopen, um, and that, and then slowly I'll be able to start um, making more performance actions again Uh, but in the meantime I'm doing lots of research enjoying reading up on blood rituals and symbolism and all the occult books that I've been neglecting because I've been (laughs) performing too much.
1: (laughs) Perfect time you gotta get you know do all your research now so that way when we're good you know. Well I think that's actually a perfect place for you to literally plug anything and everything that you want to plug right now just go for it
2: great thank you olivia so um if you found my work interesting you can find more of it on instagram as amy kingsmill um, you can also uh, find me on patreon and facebook under the same uh thing amy kingsmill um and i, I hope to connect with you on those platforms
0: all right who's up next Henry. Henry. Uh, and what's Henry's claim to fame?
1: He is a tattoo artist, although he doesn't really tattoo right now, he told me. But he also does, like, prints. He does, like, graphic stuff. He does, like, I, I, he, like, carves or paints on wood and stuff, too.
0: Now when you say he doesn't tattoo right now you mean because it's difficult to get closer than 6 feet to somebody right now right
1: Partially but I think he just kind of insinuated that he hasn't been tattooing as much But it probably yeah. is partially because of COVID but I think it it's also maybe like a just like where his career is currently at but yeah
0: Henry's uh, been a uh, long time connected to us on the old Instagram. I love looking at his stuff when he posts. It's uh, it's all really cool. I like the vibe.
1: Yeah, it's like a lot of different occulty references intersecting. There's not really And
0: indigenous art. Lots of different stuff, right?
1: Yeah, he's got like anything from like Greek gods and and Egyptian to I've seen a reptilian, a mushroom Jesus, you name it.
0: <laughs> Let's get into it. <laughs>
1: Okay. So I have Henry here with me. Hello, Henry.
4: Hello. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Good. Um, So I guess really, let's just start with telling the people who you are. Let's throw some pronouns out there just to be safe and where you're from.
4: Henry uh, Hablack. I live in um, Philadelphia. Uh, He.
1: Cool. I love Philadelphia. I lived there for a hot second. It's a cool place. Do, go ahead and describe your work to the listeners, too, because unfortunately, this is all on the digital airwaves,
4: so. Oh, yeah, no problem. Um, so um, I'm most well known for my tattoo work, even though I don't really tattoo that much anymore, but um, a lot of my stuff, is just, all my themes and imagery is mostly to do with the occult and just like the history of it and um, just everything like about it is pretty much drenched in my work um that's what it's like all about i started studying it probably five six years ago pretty heavily and uh yeah ever since then i've just been putting it in everything
1: and how would you characterize then um the audience for your work
4: um I would say people that are probably interested in something that's um a little kind of weird or unique um <laughs> something different um even yeah. though I think it's like this stuff is like getting a little like it's kind of more and more popular. I've noticed it in like everything lately honestly in the mm. last like few years, you know, like every Netflix show has to do with like some demon Unsolved. Yeah. 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 <laughs>
1: um
4: which is cool, you know. Um I just think it's, I think it's pretty funny though, you know, because it's supposed to be like the secret, which I I mean, I'm doing the same thing. I'm kind of like, I got interested in the stuff and then I wanted to share the stuff that I was learning, you know, and Mm -hmm. I just kept putting it into my work and I was getting, um, not only a good response, but I was just, I was so interested in what I was doing. And it was so interesting because it's almost like the hidden history of, um, you know, everything basically. For sure. So
1: I know you said you kind of got into it like six years ago, I think you said. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to say on like how specifically you got into it?
4: Uh, I, I had a series of experiences. I mean, I was always kind of interested in like the weird, um, I was listening to like kind of music that was kind of like different. And I, but I didn't really know like how to categorize this stuff when I was growing up, like um, until I had a few friends that were kind of using this sort of similar imagery. And I was like, what is all this stuff? You know, like metaphysical kind of stuff. And then I kind of like leaned into the occult Um, And I just started studying, like, really uh, in-depth, like, the, like, mystery tradition and, like, initiation and especially, like, hermeticism. And I actually noticed you guys just did an episode on hermeticism, which is funny.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, we're, yeah.
4: But, I mean, that stuff is, like, drenched in, like, the whole, you know, like, alchemy, the mysteries, Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, orpheism, you know, Dionysus and like the Eleusinian mysteries, like all that stuff, I think is just like, it's kind of drenched in um, almost a lot of the symbolism that you see today, you know?
1: Do you want to talk a little bit um, just on, just about like the influence, I guess, of like indigenous cultures on your work?
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I that's what, that's another huge influence as well, because I'm just studying, like, I love studying ancient history. So I just
1: I can definitely tell. just uh, yeah. looking at your work, it, it really shows, yeah.
4: Um, so yeah, so I just I like finding the, the similarities between all these people because I feel like they were all kind of saying the same thing, um, just mm. through like a different kind of cultural lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm interested in, in the origins of like religion and where all this stuff came from, really, because the farther and farther you go back, you notice that the symbols become more and more similar. And everybody's kind of on the same page with what they're doing and it's all sort of this like astro theology right and then Mm. later you get like sun sun worship kind of comes in um and that's what i like how it relates to sort of like um like greek mythology and you know south american mythology and pretty much all these mythologies kind of have the same stories in the diff in like a different kind of way of saying it like specific to their culture you know but Mm -hmm. but meanwhile they're all actually talking about the same thing they have like this the rate like um stories about the ages of of people um you know cataclysms that destroyed their societies and then and then uh basically teachers that came and taught them you know civilization and everything and that's what eventually became these gods or or entities, whatever they were, you know, something taught them and they're all talking about the mm-hmm. same thing, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: I guess riffing off of that, and you've said some of it, but I guess exactly like what mythologies do inspire you and why. You know, you've said some like Greek, you, You've and I see like so much in your work. Like, um, I mean, you had anything from one of my favorites, which was Mushroom Jesus, um Oh, yeah. To like, you had a really cool Hermes tattoo that you did. Um, you had like this the one of the tower that was like really cool. And then I think I even, and maybe I'm wrong, but I thought I saw a reptilian. Um,
4: oh yeah, <laughs> at one point, yeah, yeah there was which a reptil- was a probably
1: that was a joy to me. So these are just like I don't know all different kinds of like mythologies that you're riffing off of. So I don't know if you wanted to say anything about that
4: yeah well, I mean, like I said, I think it's it's just whatever I'm kind of studying at the moment it could just like kind of goes in my work. I haven't studied Eastern um, religions as extensively just cause I don't know that much about them. Um, but I'd like to. you know, I know like certain things. and I know they have some of the similar stories too. like the first like everybody's always talks about like these serpent teachers at the very beginning of their mm. um, of their creations. you know. So I just like finding these different things that are similar between all these different cultures really.
1: And I'm going to switch gears a little bit to tattooing again. Um are there any would you say there's any like spiritual components to tattooing for you personally?
4: Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean all these things are like power symbols too, you know. So, depending on the level of belief that you have in whatever you're getting on you, I feel like it's probably means more to certain people, but I think just the mm-hmm. act of getting tattooed is kind of a magical act because it's a transfer transformative alchemical kind of process you know um, I
1: agree for sure I think um definitely anytime I've gotten a tattoo I think I go into a little bit of a trance
4: a yeah little bit, yeah you know? totally yeah it's definitely like that's I mean that's one of the techniques people are using right to have these experiences is like body modification or like uh you know exposure or whatever you know hmm. go to a place where you're not usually at will take your brain usually somewhere different as well you know
1: and even there might be something to the pain of it too i think a little bit but
4: oh for sure yeah especially if you're sitting for like a long time you know in horrible spots it's not fun you know oh
1: yeah like you know like an eight hour straight is a lot yeah yeah would you say that there's a difference between your art as a print and then as a tattoo
4: Yeah, definitely. Because when I'm designing for tattoos, it's kind of a different medium, I feel like, than like paper, I can kind of take my time and do like these different layers and stuff and techniques and a tattoo. I feel like you have like, you have one shot with this person usually, you know, because I'm usually doing something that I can finish in a few hours. So you got to kind of figure out what's the, I mean, for me anyway, is which, what's the most like economical way to do this thing where it's going to heal and look like it does for the longest time. Um, Mm. Because tattooing is like the color fades black. Like it it, once it leaves you, like all this stuff can happen. You know what I mean? The person has to heal it and then they walk around with it. It's in the sun for years. So if you don't know like how to do these certain things that'll make your tattoo age nicely, it's going to might not look that great in just a few years, you know? Um, so there's definitely things I can't do in tattoos that I do with my paintings, you know?
1: And this is just a a fun question for me, but uh, do you have any tattoos personally that you would say were like spiritual for you?
4: My, I mean, I feel like that's kind of like a, almost like a personal grimoire of like my life, you know what I mean? Because it's like everything that, you know, certain, I look at something and I can remember where I was, who did it. Mm how I kind of felt that day, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like yeah. a, a, like a journal that's like more personal than, you know, just having a photograph or something, you know, cause it's like with you forever and, you know, and will always kind of invoke that moment. Even like if you don't see something that's on like the back of your leg somewhere for a while, go, Oh yeah. I remember that day when I got that with my buddy and we were doing this and that, you know, it's, it's and I think that's what a lot of magic is, is just, you know, certain symbols that evoke emotions or, you know, feelings. Right.
1: Yeah. I think that is like a great sentiment to honestly end this one. Um, yeah. I think that kind of wrapped everything up. Um, this is your chance now, Henry, to go ahead and plug anything and everything on earth that you would like to and go.
4: Um, Oh, I have a website. It's Henry It's my last name is spelled H a B L a K. And my Instagram is, um, H H a B L a K. um, I'm not currently tattooing at the moment, but I probably will be we just once all this craziness we figure stuff out. It'll, who knows? But um, I'm always making art and selling prints online. I have a ton of stuff on there. Um, uh, most of my work lately is, has to deal with a lot of like shamanism themes, but I have stuff um, a, a ton of different stuff in all different occult subjects. I mean, I did a, I did a sweatshirt with about John D one time. Um,
1: oh, he's coming up. We're doing him soon.
4: Yeah. So just probably a lot of stuff that your uh, listeners might be interested in. They could probably find something on my website. The Mushroom Jesus. That's one of my favorites. That was a really, really I good love one. that one. <laughs> um, yeah. Did yeah. you guys do anything on, on um, John Allegro, the guy who, who wrote that book, um, The Sacred Mushroom and the Cross?
1: No, but I I kind of read a little bit, a tiny bit into him when I did like my DMT uh, machine elf episode. He did come across a little bit, but I didn't get too crazy into that.
4: Cool, yeah. I so I, I studied like a lot of my work is about that. Basically, all these different cultures and what kind of like their initiate initiatory experiences to basically get to these other realms or whatever they were doing, and that's basically what they were studying too. You know, like that. That's what his book is about.
1: Yeah, I definitely. Agree, all of our listeners definitely check out one of the best websites I've seen in a while, too. By the way, it was just a really nice website. Um, oh, thank you. But yeah, definitely check out my, Henry.
4: My wife made the website. By the way, I'm going to plug her right there. So. Oh,
0: well, fantastic. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, so if anybody
4: needs a website, uh, hit, hit her up. <laughs>
0: nice, great. <laughs> uh, next up, we have Nikki. Yeah, Nikki. Longtime friend of the podcast. Now, Nikki, unlike Henry and Amy, is uh, new. She's new. She's a new person. She's young, is what I'm trying to say. She, yes. I'm sure they're both young. What am I trying to say here? Nikki is new, a new artist. She's an up-and-coming uh, artist in the wide world, and she uh, identifies as an actor mostly. Is that right?
1: Yeah, she does, although we didn't talk about her acting too, too much. We mostly talked about... Uh, she does collage art, um, but we actually talked a lot about how she kind of does it mostly for her. She's not really at that point of... Like mass producing her art or anything like that.
0: So collage is a kind of self exploration. I'm sure that feeds her yeah. process as an actor as well. I mean, it's all emotion. key. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's all emotion driven for Nikki.
0: That's interesting. All right, well let's uh, let's have a listen.
3: Uh, yeah, my name's Nikki. Um, I'm good with her. Doesn't really mean much to me. Gender doesn't mean much to me at all. But uh, I'll go by her. That's good with me. Um, yeah, I'm from. Manitoba, Canada. Um, Ooh. Yeah, I know Canada sounds like a really peaceful place, but the city I live in is actually dubbed the murder capital of Canada.
1: Yeah, you were just telling me that your your drug dealer problem. Well, not your drug dealer problem, <laughs> but you know your your neighbor drug dealer problem.
3: Yeah, they're the worst drug dealers. They're so not discreet, and they're just always shouting. Like
5: always shouting.
1: Wow. Just for that gives you a little atmosphere about where Nikki's creating art. Um, So go ahead and like describe your work to uh, the listeners because this is, we can't actually show them your art because this is over the digital sound waves. Um, So go ahead and just describe what you do.
3: So I had an issue with this at first because I was like thinking like work as in make money from something, but I don't make money Mm. from my art
1: oh okay I feel that
3: Um, yeah so for me it's more about well it's very personal um my art is very much about uh collaging so like taking Mm. different things and different mediums and putting them together uh it's a lot about taking old things I already have and you know transforming them so I like them again um Mm. So I'll, like, take apart old bracelets and necklaces and make new ones for myself. I'll melt old candles and make new ones for myself. I have a ridiculous amount of magazines and comic books <laughs> that yeah, I destroyed.
1: Yeah, I, I definitely picked up on a lot of, like, I guess, like, there was some like 90s meets like comics meets like a little bit of like horror even like in some of your collage work
3: yeah and um how they all happen is like so i have a bunch of pre cut out things like i mm-hmm. go through and i'll cut out like a whole bag basically full of things and then depending on kind of a headspace i'm in i'll pick through the things i have and different things will draw my attention Um, Mm. so I'm naturally really bad at understanding my own emotions. So I use art as a way to get it all out of my head and onto paper. So then I can look at it at a later point and kind of understand the headspace I was in at the time, even if I didn't really know what I was going through at the time, if that makes any sense.
1: No, I love that. It's almost like, um, like a visual journal of, of mm-hmm. how you've been feeling, but you know, without actually writing down your words, I guess.
3: Yeah. I have a really hard time putting my emotions into words. Mm. Uh, so art for me has always just been like the only really good way of expressing myself, like the only way of expressing myself that actually feels productive.
1: Um, how would you, so how did you like get into doing what? But like collage work in general, I know you said that you you know you like taking old things and making them new, but I feel like collaging that's pretty specific.
3: Yeah, for me it's the um like destroying of the old and the making of the new from it. So I really like ripping apart magazines and cutting them apart, and that stems from when I was a kid. I've always had anxiety issues mm. um, since I was really little, and a lot of different mental health issues, and so. I used to rip up newspapers. <laughs>
1: just yeah, read
3: like them by hand. Um, mm-hmm. And so then, someone gave me a bunch of old calendars and magazines. I was probably like four, and I actually have the first ever collage I made from when I was like four. It's just like four pictures taped to a different picture.
1: <laughs> oh wow, that's so neat though that you it's have always, that.
3: Yeah, it's just always come really like naturally to me. Like you put scraps in front of me, and I'm like, okay. <laughs>
1: Oh no, I love that though. That that's really like taking kind of uh, something that I guess was kind of inconvenient and making it, it it's a whole the theme in your art. It's a whole thing. That's really cool. You are, like I said, young artists, just like kind of making just trying to make your way in the world like we all are. Um it, it's a difficult thing to do. So I guess I wanna know what role does like your spirituality play, like in this in this phase of your journey, so to speak?
3: Well, um, I would say just because for me, my art is so like emotionally, like it's so tied to my emotion.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and it really is like a spiritual practice for me. When I get really overwhelmed, I'm a very hands-on person. And I have to be busy um, in order to distract my mind, like physically busy. So when I get really stressed out or really bummed out or, really anxious I just turn to art and mm. so it's like it's like I can't meditate because I'm so hyperactive but I can sit down for like seven hours and pick through magazine clippings
1: <laughs> I really identify that with that as someone that that gets pretty manic I I yeah I, I have the same thing for sure <laughs> what does success mean to you mm.
3: I think success to me would be being able to make things that are personal and still share them fearlessly because like Mm. the art I put on my Instagram, that's a very tame, uh, more artsy side of my art and less of the like emotional part of it. But when I do show the more emotional art to my friends, I always get really, really good responses from it. I just never think other people would want to see it because it's so personal mm. for me. Yeah. But if I could come to a place where I'm, you know, willing to show my, like, true art, I feel like that would be a starting point of success for me.
1: Mm. I, I do. I really like that. Um, turning a little bit, we've been focusing, I guess I've been focusing more on your collage work, um, but you also are an actor, correct? Yeah, I guess I want to ask the same thing that I kind of asked about your other art. Where like, how, does your spirituality come into your work as an actor at all? Yeah.
3: Um. So with acting, it's very emotional. You have to tap into a lot of deep emotion and like relate it to whatever your character is going through. I started acting very young. I started doing, like, church uh, musicals.
1: Yes, I <laughs> um, love that.
3: <laughs> um, and my mom said the first time I, I got applause, my face just, like, lit up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, no, I really like being able to step into someone else's shoes um, mm. and find your own your own ways to relate to that character, and it's just – For me, acting is just the most involved way of telling a story. Mm. And I really, really love that. And I think that that can be a very spiritual thing for me. Because again, anything that brings me more in touch with myself is is very spiritual to me. Because that's my biggest struggle.
1: Yeah, yeah, I kind of yeah. wanted to know a little bit, do you want to speak more on, like, specifically, like, where your spirituality or your occultism, like, personally, like, lies?
3: Yeah, that, I think, is really, um, it started really young for me, also. So, my dad passed away when I was three. Mm. And then.
1: Sorry uh, about that.
3: Yeah, that's so, I mean, it's not okay, but, like, it happened.
1: Um, I get it, yeah.
3: There's been a lot, a lot of death and a lot of loss in my life. mm and so my spirituality really stems from that because I've really had to ask the tough questions and look for the deeper answers. So I tried out Christianity and very quickly realized that it was not made for women.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I totally, I, I get your point. You and Don't worry.
3: Growing up, my brother, he, he's transgender, so he's female to uh, up, he's male mm-hmm. now. Um, so I grew up in a very like LGBT friendly home and my brother at the time was a pagan and his girlfriend was a pagan and, um, mm. really had all of this information at a really young age to pick from. I got my first tarot deck when I was, oh boy, 10, because I was oh, wow. trying to play with my brothers and he was like, no, get your own. So he bought me my <sighs> own, still have it. Um, yeah, so I've just been way more into the mystic spiritual side of things and not so much the structured religion but if I had to pick like Mm -hmm. a religion I would say that I'm I'm a witch
1: you know (laughs) yeah I appreciate that I think yeah I like to leave it there I think at this point in my life too Mm -hmm. I I feel that I don't think I I think there's a lot of pressure within like the witchcraft community from a lot of people to kind of nail down what it is to be a witch. And I just don't think you can really do that um, anymore. I think you can just be a witch. Well, that's what I
3: like about it is it's so like not general. Like it's so specific to each individual person who practices Yeah, And I feel like that's what a lot of religion, like structured religions lack. Mm. Yeah. You are your own connection to the divine. You know, you are your own source of power, things like that. That's what I really... That's what I really like and believe in.
1: Well, and that directly plays into, like you said, with being an actor and that, you know, that, that source of power. Mm-hmm. How how does occultism, I guess, specifically come up um, as themes and or inform your collage work?
3: So, um, um, after my father passed away, when I was about five, like two years after he passed away, I started hearing a uh, male voice that it became Mm. very apparent to me no one else could hear.
5: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, And it presented itself to me as my fairy godfather um, Mm. and would just ask about my day and how I am and all of that. And then, you know, really quickly, um, a bad psychiatrist told me that I was just looking for attention and it wasn't real and that really messed with me.
1: That's very devalidating. I mean, especially as a kid.
3: Oh, yeah. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just making it up. Can't trust myself then. So that's kind of fueled my whole trying to get back in touch with my emotions. I feel like they were just so shut down and all my intuition and this talent um, to communicate with the dead. That sounds so insane. But I have proof. No,
1: it doesn't sound crazy here.
3: So, you know, when you're younger and you don't understand that names can be shortened. So my dad's name was Len and that's all I knew. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know that his name was short for Leonard. So one day I asked the voice what its name was and it said Leonard. And I didn't connect the two at all, but I told my brother Oh. my brother just goes like white as a shoot. and he's like that's your dad's name and I'm like no it's not stupid his name is Len like
1: I'm like four or five right
3: <laughs> and um, oh my gosh it ended up really scaring me at one point and I said like you're scaring me you have to stop and the response I got was like I'm sorry I didn't mean to scare you and then my brother would keep having dreams with my dad and them and I wouldn't so my brother in his dream was like hey why don't you visit Nikki she really misses you Uh, and he said I don't want to scare her
1: oh my gosh well that's a little bit of a double-edged sword there yeah
3: Yeah. wow that's a really roundabout way of saying that like all of my art is a way to get back to my intuition and my emotion and all that stuff I feel has been shut down throughout the years
1: would you say that you go into a kind of trance then when you're like in the process of like ripping those magazines up and like doing
3: concept of time I like yeah three hours later and like a pile of magazine clippings like I don't even have a garbage with me I just like yeah (laughs) my couch cut stuff up it's everywhere
1: no that's incredible though so did you did you just eventually he never you know showed back up in your dreams at all Did you ever regain any kind of contact?
3: No. However, other people have heard a disembodied male voice yell my name. Like, I haven't heard it, but my roommate, we were in the car and we were about to get a flat tire. And I knew, I have very good intuition. Um, Mm. And so I knew something was wrong. And so I like, don't want to freak my roommate out, but I'm like, oh, bracing myself. And then my roommate goes, did you hear that? I'm like, no, you're what? She says, I just heard a male voice yell, Nikki. And then oh, who wow. got a flat tire.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. You have, well, it seems like you have a little bit of a, a guardian at least, you know?
3: it's Yeah. And like I said, that's incredible. I have a few people to to pass away, unfortunately. Um, so I'd say I have a pretty strong connection to some of the dead, at least.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for sure. I think that makes total sense. The more you experience that kind of thing, of course, especially from a young age, the closer I think you're just going to be naturally inclined towards it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a constant reoccurring thing. It's like, okay, well, um, I could tell myself this isn't real and make myself feel insane or, you know, um, Mm. accept the possibility that it's possible. I mean, my basic view of the world is I'm never going to (laughs) know. Like I'm never going to know. I'm at peace with that. I don't need to.
1: (laughs) And it, it unfortunately brings up a lot of, I I think in a lot of occult community, like circles, you don't want to bring up mental illness because it kind of devalidates, you know, what could be the occult. So I don't know. But then also at the same time going to that, you know, the, the older thinking therapist who just completely devalidates the kid who's, you know, saying these kind of things. It's just very interesting to me. Yeah, this has been a very interesting conversation.
3: <laughs> I'm glad. And yeah, on that note, I do actually suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. Um, my partner, my previous partner, um, passed away um, about three years ago, I think now. I'm sorry. Um, And so that that kind of triggered PTSD in me. So then I started hearing and seeing things that weren't there. But it's different mm. because I know they're not there. You know?
1: I went, like, Yeah, I 100% PTSD, know what you mean.
3: You know, there's a different feeling between, like, oh, I got to chill. And, like, there's a flashing light in the corner of my eye, but I know there's nothing there.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I, I, it's funny you say that because I – When I went through a loss myself two years ago, I definitely also, because I suffer from mental illness, had to have that moment of, okay, well, I've known what the paranormal is for sure, but now, like, am I hearing things? Am I seeing things? Like, it it does, I don't know, it is really interesting.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely, it's confusing at first, but I feel like I've come to a place where I can tell
1: the difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's valid and unfortunately other people might not see it that way. Oh yeah. But
3: but I don't really care
1: anymore. Yeah. I mean, fuck it. Fuck them.
3: I, I just don't I don't care anymore and what other people think of me is none of my business anyway.
1: I want to give you the opportunity now to just like plug to death anything at all that you want to plug to the people, any projects, any pages just go for it.
3: Okay. Um so my Instagram is underscore nixie which is N I X I E underscore dust underscore and then my art Instagram is at a little bit of nixie dust. Um I mostly just make art for myself, but if anyone ever wanted anything custom made by me, like I would be more than happy to make things for other people too. Um, I was just so excited to get to talk to you. I can't even, like, like, not to be a fangirl, but, like, do you guys have fangirls? I'm a fangirl.
1: Oh, you know, well, we, we literally, Rob and I were like, we have to, she's one of the ones that we have to do just because you've, you've been an OG. I mean, since I can remember, you've been around, so, you know that that made me so happy oh my gosh (laughs) I'm
3: so excited I like normally wouldn't respond to something like this I was like okay no like this is your chance you're such a fan get to talk to them
1: like it's so cool well I'm really glad that you you shared everything with us and yeah I just loved this
0: and last but certainly not least, uh, we have another up and coming artist. So we had two artists at the beginning who are established in their career, and, and we have two artists uh, sort of getting their career started uh, to to do the second half of the episode. And uh, I'm talking about uh, Flora now. And Flora is a poet.
1: Yes, she's a writer poet. Um, yeah, mostly poetry. Uh, yeah, a lot of very cool. She does have some occulty themes, but a lot of it is like she'll just she'll have dreams. And write poems about that, just whatever she encounters. So,
0: and she's from one of my favorite countries on earth. She's uh, Scottish, right?
1: Yeah, sure. Her heritage is actually really interesting because she's uh, Mexican Scottish. So there's like a lot of a lot of culture going.
0: <laughs> Very cool. All right, let's have a listen to Flora.
1: Yeah.
5: Okay. So my name is Flora. I use she/her pronouns. And I'm from Scotland. Um very proud to be from Scotland, as I think many Scottish people are. Nice. Um, <laughs> um yeah, and I don't know, I'm studying English literature and philosophy. Oh, and wow. I'm very interested in the sort of old occult um sort of writing and like charlatans and the and the real people as well. So yeah, I'm just really fascinated by that.
1: Yeah, so describe your work actually um, a little bit. I think that leans in right into what you're saying.
5: Hmm. Uh, so I mean, I I mostly write poetry. I've basically written ever since I was really small. So a lot of nonsense poetry, like stuff that's very silly, like Edward Lear. Um, but I I mean it ranges. Like I did a sort of Spenserian. So The Fairy Queen, I don't know if you've ever heard, it's like a really long poem and it's very, you know, filled with um, fairies and uh, wizards and stuff. It's really cool, really interesting. Yeah. I recommend mm-hmm. it. Um, hmm. So yeah, it, it really varies from like longer things around maybe 10 pages long to just small, small poems. And I try and write short stories, but my attention span is really not long enough.
1: <laughs> yeah. So... How would you characterize your audience then?
5: So, um, you know, I post things on my blog online and, like, you know, I think my friends like it. But it's, yeah, Yeah. it's difficult to find, like, an audience when you're just writing poetry. If I'm satisfied with a piece of work, then, I mean, it'll go up on my blog. And it's not Mm. the most fancy stuff. And I also hate redrafting. But... Hmm. Yeah, and and it's like you know, writing. You get into that sort of state where I do I do quite a lot of um, what's it called? Uh, f- like flow writing when you like tr-
1: automatic writing
5: automatic writing. Yeah. So I try yeah, and do. Yeah. I was
1: gonna ask you about that.
5: <laughs> yeah, because I think the most interesting things come up from your subconscious when you're dreaming. I like writing about things based on dreams as well. Uh, I think that's. An interesting project to try and like recall that and make it actually readable and and logical um yeah
1: that's yeah. I mean I appreciate that'cause i I can't remember I struggle to remember my dreams for sure,
5: yeah, yeah, it helps to write them down. I've got notes on my phone that's just filled with just really rambling things that don't make sense, but they yeah. they you can kind of take some inspiration from them. Because they're so weird.
1: (laughs) I kind of want to talk about um, your heritage because I like it is. I think it comes up not like all like I think like quite a bit um, like in your work that I was reading.
5: Mm -hmm.
1: Um, So how would you say that your cultural background informs your work?
5: Hmm, That's a really interesting question because my my mom's Mexican, so I have like that whole side which I'm really really interested in and then I have my whole Scottish side and they both are such amazing cultures for like myths and and sort of legends and tales and the the um the Mayans as well such an interesting culture um and they just their art and their beliefs I I think that really I'm so fascinated I want like I keep on I I want to go back to Mexico and you know visit more pyramids because they're such amazing they're very otherworldly as well um yeah and I feel like you can get the same kind of feeling maybe in Scotland when you're climbing up a mountain you get this amazing feeling from their their strangeness as well Hmm. um I don't know if I'm making sense
1: no you that, are. Okay. No, I'm down with everything you're saying. I'm totally following you. <laughs>
5: yeah. No, it's it's great. And yeah, so the myths and legends like in Scotland, I just feel like there's so many, you know, the stories of the little people. Uh, they're very sort of yeah. prevalent and you get selkies, the women who turn into seals and I don't know, I just think they're really beautiful stories.
1: I think it's in and it's such a like contrast to I think being here in America Mm -hmm. (laughs) um we don't I think the way that we approach that kind of thing is very different we you know our history comes from you know being more scared of that kind of uh, Mm. more mythological you know supernatural so to speak stuff so does that at all then influence like either any part of your heritage then influence your spirituality
5: um well a, l- a little bit. I know. So in the Highlands, there was a big tradition for women to have, a, what was it? Like second sight. So that was like a really commonplace thing there. And I I don't think I have second sight. I think I'd love to have second sight. But I, I you know, I think my great grandmother may have been like a, a clairvoyant. She was from Scotland, but then she went to oh. India during the um English colonial period and then she oh, became right. this sort of clairvoyant so I think I don't know there's a part of me that really likes to think that it kind of runs in my blood a little bit but I just haven't had enough supernatural experiences to really confirm any any of it really
1: <laughs> there's like a a little bit of like a feminist uh especially like within your your bit about the alchemy your um hmm. your piece the alchemist um yes. There's kind of a uh, while I was reading it, I was like, oh, it's it's she, 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 she. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, it's kind of surprising because you think you think alchemy, at least when I'm reading alchemy or even stories about alchemy, it's a lot of male centered activity, mm. which historically, I I guess, makes some sense. But yeah. Um, so I guess I kind of wondered it, like, how does the image of the female alchemist like surface in your writing? And I just wanted you to talk about that a bit.
5: Yeah, I think I got, uh, you know, I get annoyed reading about all the men doing all the things in history and it's sort of, yeah, it's very frustrating. So, and I also thought, you know, I think about my mom and I think about women I've met. And I think if anyone has the, the sort of power and also the, the rational, rationale to like, to do all these things like uh, transmute metals or create, I don't know, creating potions is more of a witch thing. But I also wanted to look at how, you know, alchemists were revered as like, well, I don't know if they were revered, but they when you think of an alchemist, you think of a man with a lot of books. When you think of a witch, it's like a woman, like in a, in a hut somewhere. And I was like, yes. well, maybe they're doing parts of the same thing, really. And maybe like having like a lot of witches work is very practical in like healing things or trying to bless the ground so that the crops grow and maybe there's more there's more use to that than simply trying to create gold or I don't know all the other things that alchemists do
1: (laughs) is alchemy at all like a part of your life outside of um like your writing at all
5: re I think it's just such a fascinating topic because I love how you know alchemy was mixed with science and back then it was like natural philosophy and I think um another part of the alchemist is about how philosophy has become very um it's a lot of theorizing and and back then with alchemy it was like you were actually doing things you know and now philosophy is just sort of writing things and I don't know, I was trying to call back to a time when people put things into practice.
1: Because your poetry, I found that it deals a lot, like, it deals heavily, like, with the body and body parts right. and body parts interacting and kind of sometimes in, like, uncomfortable ways, maybe sometimes even mm. painful. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess I, I just wanted you to talk a little bit about, like, the role of the body in your poetry. Mm. That's a really
5: good question. Um, I think that the body is also. I know this is a really philosophy heavy, I'm sorry. But the. Oh, that's your thing. (laughs) The body is really overlooked in Western philosophy, I think. So there was that sort of dualism where the mind is like where all the higher power happens and it's more lofty and it's the, again, the man with the book. And Mm -hmm. if you use your body. Uh, you're you're basically a peasant, you're farming. So, and also, like, I just feel like women also are always seen to be in their bodies rather than men who, you know, it's the absent-minded professor who doesn't trim his beard as opposed to the woman, you know, it's, it's more okay for him to be sort of unkempt and, like, really absent-minded, but for the woman it's like her body really represents who she is.
1: So, yeah, for sure.
5: yeah, so I think the body is very important, is more important than, than it, you know, the, the wellness culture right now is, is good, but I also think that a lot of mental things can be linked to physical things as well, and we tend to overlook that actually maybe getting a good night's sleep for, like, a little bit can maybe help you a little bit, or just taking a minute for, like... I don't know to sit down and do the sort of meditation type things. Mm. I think they're really overlooked in, but they're they're coming. I think they're becoming more popular nowadays. But, yeah, um, there's like
1: a new agey movement. You know? Yeah,
5: exactly. But I think you can take something from that and actually take care of your body. I so I wrote um, a sort of zine called "Admit You Are a Machine" and. Ooh. It was, it, yeah. The title yeah, kind
1: of stems very compelling. Yeah, I love that title.
5: <laughs> well, thank you. Um, yeah, it basically comes like stems from how you do need to look after the the, the body you're in, the machine you're in. Um, mm. I don't know, and and that will link to your mental faculties, and then how well you're able to control your mental state, and you know everything that arises from that. Yeah,
1: and. I wanted to ask you because um, I think I even mentioned it to you that I, I was really compelled by your one poem. There is a man with a suit. Hmm. Um, what inspired that? I mean, if <laughs> if you want to tell me, if you don't want to tell me, that's cool too. <laughs> uh, it,
5: I think it's just me being very dramatic and very frustrated sometimes at the way society treats women, basically. Um, that's, what uh, yeah I think that does spur me on quite a lot and it's just the the way that you know the patriarchy can like fill in so can can make it so impossible for you to breathe sometimes almost unless you're like alone is it I don't know it's um
1: no I think a lot of people feel exactly what you're saying yeah
5: exactly (laughs) yeah um yeah I mean I think I was just I just had a bad day probably and I was I had to get it out there
1: <laughs> well it worked um, it worked <laughs> for um, me
5: <laughs>
1: you had another piece that you sent me Canto 2 I believe it's called right?
5: yes so that's a short segment from a longer poem that I did um, called Bed Bedweir which is like B-E-D-W-Y-R which is Um, I think it was like some ancient or not ancient. It's some sort of Gallic word for like gravestones or something that I found suitably gothic. And it's just a long, a long poem, longer than I normally do, and it's about uh sort of weird and magical things happening in a university that ends up in like a death. So. So I sent you a couple of stanzas from that because it's a, it's a very long poem. It's I think it's 20, 20 verses long, so mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't need to read the whole thing out.
1: <laughs> cool. Um, cool. I think that that wraps this up pretty nicely, actually, Flora. Um, mm-hmm. I want to give you a chance at the end here to plug anything on Earth that you possibly might want to plug, mm. anything at all. Go for it.
5: This is very exciting. Um, I write most of my poetry and any, anything I feel like on my WordPress blog, at Col- and it's just called Attack of the Paper Wizards. Uh, no spaces. And that's it, really. That's all I, that's all I really want to plug,
1: <laughs> just my writing. Yeah, um, that works. Yeah. There is a man with a suit on top of me, the pressure crushing and choking and bending me down. The man has no ears and is nothing but lips. His voice is the loudest thing I've ever heard, and it deafens all around him. The man is clever, but I know I am too. We stay in this position, deciphering each other, second-guessing our moves in a game of invisible chess. His mouth talks constantly. His mouth, I say, and not him, because that mouth has nothing human in what it bellows. Nothing human. He sits on my back and tells me to get up. When I try and answer that he is too heavy, he talks over me. Nothing makes me angrier. Nothing more filled with unjust weakness. I slump down to my elbows. There is a gene in humans for cooperation. It is what tells us when someone else is not doing their fair share of the work. We had it then, but I don't know about now. I don't think it works across long distances. Another tactic. Shake him off. Gradually, I gather all of my strength, all my rationality, which is a prize to me. I don't have to departmentalize myself, not to exist as a contradiction. I try and tell this to the man, as I thought it was insightful, but he doesn't listen. Why did I try? I imagine this struggle will take a while, so I'll leave it here with you. When the man falls, or jumps, or lets go, then maybe I will begin to slowly straighten out my stiff body. My back will begin to straighten and I will feel free.
0: All right. Uh that'll do it then, won't it?
1: Yeah. That was it. That's all of them.
0: <laughs> uh what would you say any any closing comments on on these conversations you've had, uh, Olivia? What what was what was the best part about uh doing this project?
1: It was nice to be able to talk about art again. Um but that's a little bit of a selfish thing. <laughs> I think I I enjoyed getting to just talk to people who are um artists that because it's hard right now for all of us artists um i mean for everyone but you know with covid um it's hard for a lot of these people to be making money off their art so i think i just went on a tangent but
0: no i think that's good (laughs) i mean it's I think what people forget a little bit uh, when they listen to us, or maybe they don't, maybe they're well, well aware of this, is that um, while you know we are researchers, I'm a hardcore researcher, um, PhD, all that fun stuff, uh, most of my life is in art. I, I spend a lot of time making theater with you and, and with uh, the other alchemical actors in, in the wide world and creating original projects and performing. Uh, which is why we do the podcast in part, uh, but it focuses so much on the history. Sometimes the uh, the creative aspect uh, gets overshadowed. So uh, I, I was really excited about this episode and, and having getting an opportunity to to talk not just about history, but talk about art with living, breathing people.
1: I also just liked really talking to people who like us. To be totally honest, <laughs> it was really nice to like actually talk to like you know people like Nikki who have been subscribers since I can remember um yeah so that was just really Long-time nice fans. for me
0: yeah not that the world is full of people who hate us
1: no i mean maybe <laughs> i don't know but <laughs>
0: <laughs> the trolls are in the minority in the uh among the confessors <laughs>
1: ignorance is bliss i don't need to know
0: <laughs> uh well that was great uh so let's let's close things up uh y- y- do you know the magic words
1: L- like the ending thing that we do every it, it, single time
0: it's time to end the thing.
1: I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. I almost said an interview it again, but that would have been,
0: <laughs> it would have been a hot take. Uh, I want to encourage uh, all of our listeners to hop on our website or visit us on Instagram to check out links to all of the artists who we talked with today. Yeah. uh, Or Facebook. We're going to be doing it across our social medias. uh, So if you want to, I know they all did their plugs, Olivia, at the end of the conversation, Mm -hmm. but if you want a handy way of just clicking and and accessing their work, uh, hop on to any of, of our Occult Confessions internet presence is... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So, here we go This is it, Uh, we've got one more episode in alchemy So that is going to be on Chinese alchemy, I I have to get another China episode and it's been a while since I've done something about China Uh, Long time listeners know I love talking about China, so we're going to make that trip back to China to do an exploration of that immortal sage on the mountaintop dispensing Taoist wisdom on the elixir of life well, damn. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it. We will catch you next time here on Occult Confessions.
1: Bye.